Full Gear Go Home Show. How was it? Well, it was one of the best dynamites when it comes to promos. But overall, it was a very, very solid show that made me so hyped for Full Gear. The show started with a backstage promo for the second week in a row, which I very much enjoyed. But now it was Chris Jericho hyping up Jake Hager after his Bellator victory, saying that he is still undefeated, and look, just look at those battle scars that he got. But he was rudely interrupted by none other than MGF. He said that he doesn't want any tension between any circle or him. And to that, Chris Jericho replied that, in comparison to the inner circle, MGF is lacking the killer instinct, and he was soft. And after that, MJF just said, Watch, and you will see how soft am I. And straight away, we got ourselves MJF and Warlow versus Sammy and Ortiz. The first half of this match wasn't really entertaining. It was typical Heels beating down Babyface, but only this time Heels beating up Heels. And uh, with MJF and Wardlow working on Ortiz and his arm, most importantly. But this match turned around completely after Sammy Guevara hot tech. And how I said it all changed. Me and you probably heard that Sammy can be a beautiful Babyface in the future, but... Before this match, I never really saw him as a proper babyface, but this hot tag changed it all, and this hot tag was great. Hitting Tope Suicidus on MJF and Wardlow, being part of this Tower of Doom spot that made Wardlow look like a hundred bucks, and of course, having a great sequence with MJF, and even bringing Wardlow down with a quick strikes and this match was designed to put over the fact of how great Sammy can actually be as a babyface but right now he's still a heel and he got a little bit cocky and after a 450 on the outside he decided to flip off the meme himself Sir Pantaga who, who threw a chair at him because of course it wasn't Sir Pentica, was it? It was Mad Hardy. And straight away, we got ourselves a finish with MJF putting Ortiz in a Fujiwara Amber for a victory. But after the match, MJF attacked Jericho, who was on commentary throughout this night. And after the beatdown, Chris smiled because he liked this vicious side of MJF. And I think this little extra segment brought something new to their rivalry because we missed something more physical between them, not only the talking. After that, we had a sit-down, actually two sit-downs interview with Kenny and Hangman Page. Kenny said that it's hard to bet against Kenny Omega in a tournament, in a tournament knowing the history of Kenny Omega and how good he can be in the tournaments, winning the most prestigious one 
with his first attempt. And also in this promo or sit-down interview, he massively put over the fact that he expected Warlow to win and that he needed to change his game plan to adapt to the last-minute replacements that you all people decided to claim was an easy victory for him while Paige needed to fight against the tough opponents. While in the other interview, Paige admitted to JR that he was nervous because it was the closest since all out last year that he was that close to becoming an AW world champion one more time. Now I mean no world champion but the first contender for the title one more time. And if he lose this match he will have nothing but this glass of whiskey. And it was a great promo from Hangman Page once again with the, in this sit-down interview, putting over the fact that, hey, since that match it all out, I changed. And now I'm a miserable bastard that doesn't know what, it, what the future holds. While Kenny, on the other hand, is showing no sympathy towards Hangman Page and also becoming very, very hillish and very, very cocky in his promos and his style of wrestling, which I absolutely adore. After this, we had Miro versus Trent. Obviously, it was Miro's first singles match, and it was the best decision to put him against Trent, because he sold like a motherfucker for him. Trent, throughout this whole match, had some fiery moments where he was in control, but mostly, it was Miro. And it was very hard-hitting match that had more fuel add up to this match because constantly on commentary and even before the match they had a little promo between those two in a pre-show where they put over the fact that in FCW Miro was a kohai of trend. He always was this Bagman, who was carrying the backs, who was helping out Trent with his training, but never was a star and mostly wasn't even on, on the ring. He was just helping him out. So I think it was a great decision to bring this up because it made Trent look a little bit more of a dick towards Miro and justify his hard-hitting and mean style of wrestling against him. But also it may look Miro uh, relatively nice having this opportunity to finally bring back this embarrassment that he had back in the days in FCW. So I thought it was a great decision. And something that wasn't the greatest, the greatest decision was Dark Order interfering into this match. And obviously they need to push this Orange Cassidy versus John Silver match that's going to happen at full gear, but I just don't think that it was so necessary. And the reason why I'm saying this, not because Dark Order couldn't interfere in this match, no, no, I absolutely don't mind it because Miro, at the end of the day, just threw them all away. But the fact is we had so many so many interference throughout this match throughout this match also but also the whole show that it was so hard 
to just care about them at the end because we had them in this match we had the interference after box and private party we had an interference in the main event of the night nearly every single match had some sort of interference and i thought it was it was a little bit of a disservice for the show and it was the reason why some of people who watched the show, the show didn't really enjoy this episode of Dynamite. But the match ended clean without anyone hitting Trent or Miro from the back. No, it was Miro submitting Trent after game over. Which was a surprise for some people knowing that Trent was so... Protected by AW, he was going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kenny Omega. They won in a parking brawl fight that was critically claimed being one of the best parking lot matches of all times. And now he's losing clean to Miro. But I thought it was a great decision, a great finish that didn't harm or didn't hurt Trend, but also put over Miro massively because of, again, how AW protected Trent. And then it was test time. He got a great promo saying that, you know, Brian Cage is 10 and 1, and he is in a top 5 in this rankings that TK, Tony Khan, is so much very proud of. But Ricky Starks has a similar record. He's 10 and 1 in the last 11 matches. But you know what? He's not even in the rankings. What type of bullshit this is. And I love the fact that they are putting over the the ranking system. Because from time to time, AEW can't forget about them themselves. Like in the uh, in this tag team division stuff with FTR and Young Bucks that we've seen for the last couple of weeks. There and they forgot about rankings, didn't they? Oh yes, they did. But doesn't matter how much I like this part of his promo, there was another one where Ricky and Taz promised that at full gear we will see the Tasman Inks. And how I said, I love the fact that they are putting over the ranking system, but I don't like the fact that they might interfere into the only logical place of the show where Taz can interfere and it's Cody versus Darby Allen because I want Darby Allen to win clean at full gear and of course something great can happen with Team Taz interfering maybe we're gonna see Sting which is unlikely or maybe overall after Cody will beat down Brian Cage and Ricky Starks Darby Allen will be able to pick up a victory. Anything can happen, but I just wish it's going to be a singles match without any interference. And how I mentioned before, next match will be Young Bucks versus Private Party. Before the match, Sammy decided to take one back on Matt and attack Hardy. And you know how much changed the match? It didn't. It didn't change anything. But overall, this match was great. It was very fast, 
and how I would describe it to my mates, it was high-flying, private party, booting over type of match because, whoo, private party were in control for a big part of this match and they were great. It was great consistently bringing up the fact that Private Party uh, were the only team who beat Young Bucks at the beginning of Dynamite. And they were the team that eliminated them from the tournament that they held in the first editions of Dynamites. And with that, with Matt selling his ankle, Private Party were in control. Putting over themselves incredibly with those incredible sequence with incredible high flyer maneuvers everywhere and even hitting gin and juice for a near fall. But at the end it was Box who picked up a victory after the BTE trigger with MJF or MJF with Matt Jackson before the finish, finally having a courage to forget about his ankle hitting a spear, and then hitting a BT trigger. After the match, FTR tried to get another beatdown on the box, but this time, Hangman Page decided to go out and help his previous mates. And after a couple of seconds, Kenny came out too. And we had an incredible stare down, not only between FTR and Young Bucks, but also with... Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. Because at first, it always seems very nice when Hangman and Kenny actually made a fist bump. And you think, what does it mean? Will they be fine? Will they be, you know, mates again? But no, straight away when Kenny decided to turn away from Hangman, he decided, he thought it was, you know, a sign of disrespect. He pulled him away. And they had this long stare down between themselves. Mwah. Great thing. But oh, the great things only coming because then it was the best thing on this show. Mox and Eddie Kingston face to face. If they're gonna fight during the segment, their match at full gear is off. Oh, and this segment, it was brilliant. Bringing real life into this story with Eddie saying that after he wins, he will give this title to his mother because of this title. He still doesn't have a son or a daughter. His mom doesn't have a grandchild or a daughter-in-law. Oh, great stuff from Eddie, but then... Mox taking Mike and he says that he was happy for Kingston when he got signed. He remembers his mother. He remembers Ruthie. And he remembers the promise that he gave to her that he will protect Eddie Kingston no matter what. And he understands that he failed his promise because they're gonna fight at full gear. And Eddie Kingston, after 18 years, finally gonna get his opportunity that he never expected to have. But deep down he knows that he will lose 
And he knows that after all of this 18 years, maybe he didn't deserve to have this opportunity. And this is only a small portion of everything that happened this like 10 minute segment. It was so great. It gave me goosebumps for all this whole segment. And you should undoubtedly watch this. And I personally think it should have been a main event, but unfortunately it wasn't. Then we had another great promo, this time from Jordi Jordi Pack, who decided to go a little bit insane with once again having multiple versions of Pack screaming and laughing. And in this promo, he claimed that he got abandoned once again. Seven months he was sitting in isolation. He couldn't speak to anyone. He couldn't make fun of anyone. He couldn't beat down anyone. But don't be afraid. Jordi Jordi Park will be back stronger and maybe crazier than ever. And throughout this whole promo, we've been hearing Eddie Kingston's promos. And uh, I think it's a very understandable way to put over the fact of what's going to happen next. And I think we're going to see Pac versus Eddie Kingston very soon. And maybe as soon as next week, because next week, Penta versus Phoenix has been announced. And it's weird that you decided to make this match so soon after their first match that happened like a couple of weeks ago and that ended with an injury unless you have something in plan and I guess something in plan means hey it's back coming out to ruin the day for at least one of them but after those two incredible promos we got a typical Five minutes of women's wrestling where Nyla Rose squashed Red Velvet. And after the match, Vicky Guerrero cut a great promo on Brandy, who I guess is a manager of Red. And she cut a promo on Sheeta when she claimed that Nyla Rose will beat her down, break her bones, make her cry, and win her title. I mean... They tried to do something, right? But, come on. It's a couple of days before the pay-per-view. How can I be any more excited because of this promo? And that's a shame because it was a very nice promo on the show of incredible promos. But, once again, it just didn't make me feel anything. It made me feel a little bit disappointed. That we didn't use Vicky Guerrero with her incredible promo skills. And we're only using her now. When I say it once again, a couple of days before the pay-per-view. Damn shame. And then, we got ourselves the main event of the evening. Which was Dark Order versus Cody and the Gun Club. It was fine. Everyone has their moment in this match. Everyone performed their... Signature move. And at the end, Austin Gunn picked up a victory after hitting a crossroads and his finisher on number 10. I mean, I didn't speak about anything that happened in this match because 
Uh, there was nothing really to talk about. It was fine, but it should have not been the main event when you have Eddie Kingston versus uh, Mox in this incredible face-to-face -face segment. The only reason why I can understand it was in the main event, it was because of what happened next, and it was Cody cutting, you guessed it, another great promo on Darby Allen saying that he would love Darby to become a TNT champion, and TNT, the whole channel, would love to have Darby as the face of their channel, being so reckless, but also so talented. But it's not the time for Darby Allen. It's time for Cody, and Cody said himself, being a little bit of a dick, that he solely found out about Darby Allen, he gave this idea to sign him to EVPs, but they were so afraid of signing him that Cody needed to find him one on one to make sure that he will be signed to AW. But the finest line of them all was in the end, saying that you want to win this title, you want to win the ace title, but Darby. You're not the ace. Ooh, incredible line in a very good promo that ended the show. Unless you were on Fight TV and you've seen a little bit of a sneak peek where you can hear Cody's big announcement saying that he has no longer has one name, one second name. He is now officially Cody Rhodes once again. And that was a, and that that was it. Once again, a very solid show, a very good one with so many incredible promos from various superstars, with good wrestling, with women's wrestling for five minutes. And damn, I feel so hyped for this full gear. It might be one of the best pay-per-views that. AW ever done, at least when it comes to in-ring wrestling. FTR Box, Kenny Hangman Page, Jesus Christ, only those two matches can sell out whole arenas, but you give us Mox Eddie Kingston with this build-up, you give us, well, Nyla Rose and Shida, of course, but also MJF Chris Jericho, oh, that's gonna be great. Overall, I enjoy this episode of Dynamite. Maybe way too many interferences. But again, it didn't ruin anything for me. I truly enjoyed the show. Eddie Kingston mocks once again. You should go and watch the segment. If you already did, do it again. But again, thank you for listening for my 23 minutes of rambling about how great this AEW Dynamite Edition was. And hear you soon.